Broadcast for Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is ERN Sunday for Sunday, July 17, 2022. We've got members of the media, academia, and financial services standing by as we analyze all the news and events for the week. So sit back, relax, enjoy this episode of ERN Sunday. kick things off with a look at what is happening with the American retirement system. You know, the U.S. retirement system is the largest in the world. It's got about $15 trillion, that's a T with trillion with a T, in defined benefit and defined contribution assets. We're going to talk a little about the status of the U.S. retirement system, how it's doing, and whether or not it can do things better. Joining me on the line, Cindy Hounsel is with the Women's Institute for Secured Retirement, better known as WISER, and Tim Kahn is with Dimensional Fund Advisors. Tim, Cindy, so great to have you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to, great to have you. And Cindy, welcome back to the program. Tim, I want to start, to start with you. I'm going to give you the easiest question of the day. And I, I want to ask you, what's the current state of the U.S. retirement system? And how are we doing today with preparing Americans to save and be secure for their retirement. All right. Well, you certainly uh, didn't give me the easiest one of the day, but uh, there's a lot to unpack. And okay. let me just say that, well, um, uh, we're doing good, uh, but we could do better. So as you mentioned, uh, the U.S. retirement system, one of the largest in the world, uh, one of the most innovative in the world, has created all-time highs in assets for its members, or D.C. plan participants. Um, But at the same time, I think there's some big opportunities for improvement. When you talk to various uh, think tanks or you look at us uh, globally, uh, we're criticized or people say we fall down in three big areas. Uh, One is the lack of universal coverage. They call that universality. Uh, Second is leakage of assets. So think uh, D.C. plan participants changing jobs, going from one employer to the next and either not keeping that money at the former employer or bringing it to the next or not taking it to an IRA, it leaks out of the system. That's called leakage. And the most interesting that we're just starting to tackle with at top of mind that all the listeners have heard about recently with Secure and Secure 2.0 is the lack of guaranteed retirement income for America's workers. Those are the three big areas that that we're criticized. And so to kind of go back to that first initial answer, how are we doing good? Good is kind of a B or a B plus. Uh, So that's my answer. Okay. Well, that's good. You know, we're we're not yet in the academic year, but, uh, you know, I would – look, when I was a kid, B, B plus, I I probably would be happy with that. My parents would not be. Um, Cindy, I want to come to you because uh, I want to talk about – first about Weiser's mission, and then I want to ask you how women are faring – when saving for retirement, because that, obviously they're an important cohort here in America. Um, first, who's wiser, and uh, how are women doing? 
Um, well, Wiser was started uh, 25 years ago, and what happened was I had a frozen defined benefit plan, and nobody could tell me really what that meant. And so I started asking some questions, this is a long time ago, and there was just a dearth of information. So I, at some point, decided that somebody had to tell all the women I knew, baby boomer women, that, you know, they were they were going to be poor when they got older because that's the way the statistics fall. So Wiser was born. Um, and unfortunately, I think the retirement story for women, which is greatly improved if you work for an employer that provides a plan. So I agree with Tim that it works really well. But if you're not part of that system or you're a part-time worker and you're not access to the benefits, you know, you're sort of out of luck in many ways. Yeah, and that's that's obviously unfortunate. Uh, women, Cindy, they live longer typically than men, um, and so they need. They, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say they need more income because of that. You know, you live longer, you earn less, you had take time away from work for caregiving, or you work part time because you have like family responsibilities, and so that means you have less in savings and you know retirement accounts um, if you're lucky enough to have one. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a hard climb. Yeah, it's, it's a hard climb. And we, Tim, we need to get from the B to the B plus to the A to the A plus, maybe even some extra credit. And, uh, I'm just thinking back to my, my, uh, ge- geometry days and how I was, was looking for extra credit in some way, shape or form. But let's talk about unif- universality and not everyone in America, Tim, has access to retirement plan. Cindy even made this point that if you're lucky to have an employer-sponsored retirement plan, you're in a good position to save. People tend to do the right thing. But if you don't, if you're one of those millions of Americans, don't have access. Um, So it's not universally available. What can we do better? How can we improve that? Yeah, great points. And Cindy, completely agree. I kind of use the stat uh, or the anecdote, you know, only about half of Americans are covered by either a defined benefit or a defined contribution plan. So you pull up to a stoplight, you know, odds are if you are active in a DC plan, as you look to the left or right, the person next to you probably doesn't have one. So that's that point on universality. How can we get from, you know, from a B plus to an A? Great point. So we're starting to see that through the legislative process, this can be fixed and it is being fixed today. Um, so we're seeing a lot of states. Uh, create mandatory state retirement plans. And today there are six states, and six states have active mandatory plans. So if you're lucky enough to live in California, Connecticut, Illinois, Massachusetts, Oregon, or Washington, you are subject to uh, having an active uh, mandatory plan as an employer. Uh, There's seven other states that have passed legislation with various implementation dates, and I think of at least two others that have likewise passed legislation but haven't implemented them. So we can go from that B to an A through universality. There is the big elephant in the room is mandates, and people get very concerned about mandates. In my opinion, um, having some sort of federal rules and regulations or best practices around this is probably the best thing that we can do to get all of our folks into some sort of savings plan for the future. Yeah. Continuing, uh, if we think about leakage, um, I guess the, the, the thing I would say there is that we're trying to, again, use best practices around automaticity, which is using automatic features to help plans, uh, participants as they move through plans, do the best things. We really haven't figured that out yet. However, when we talk about the third kind of big bucket where we get criticized, 
That's the lack of guaranteed income. And what we really need to do today is to address the predominant retirement savings vehicle for most Americans, which is the DC plan, not the DB plan. And whether it's a 401k, a 403b, or a 457, uh, or some uh, or f- some sort of IRA, this is a system that was created in 1978, uh, and it was focused on accumulation. So it was created as a savings program. Today, the DC uh, system is a retirement program. So we've done a really, really good job helping Americans save trillions of dollars. We've done a really bad job helping those Americans translate that savings into spending. And that's the next phase of innovation and development in the retirement system. So, Tim, I want to follow up with that, and then, Cindy, I'll come to you. Let's talk about um, putting those types of – making that available, the DBification, if you will. I don't know if that's uh, an acceptable word, but I'm going to yeah. use it here. The DBification of the defined contribution plan. So that's your 401K, your 403B, your governmental 457, 401A. Hopefully some of those code sections ring uh, familiar to the audience. But wh- when we're talking about lifetime income, what, what types of vehicles come to mind, uh, investment vehicles? Are we talking about annuities? Are we talking about annuity-like products? Yeah, great point. And uh, I've coined the phrase, we need to create a DB-like construct within the DC framework. So what works well? What do people like and want? Well, they want to know what a standard of living is in retirement. Mm-hmm. That's a defined benefit. Uh and we're not there in the D.C. world, and you've alluded to some of the ways that we can get there. So we want to target sustainable retirement income that allows people to have a certain standard of living or a withdrawal rate, however you want to say it, for their entire lifetime. So you can get to that through advanced ways such as liability-driven investing, the way defined benefit plans do every single day, or through some form of annuitization, and that's a partnership with an insurance company. And we could really dive deep into about six different ways that we can do that today. But the key is some form of annuitization is the only way that you can make your limited DC assets uh, last throughout your lifetime. And Cindy, I want to come to you because I want to get the you know, what women, as we mentioned before, um, maybe not covered, uh, living longer. Uh, that lifetime income, being able to generate money because you're living longer – that's important. Are women uh, – and I, I don't like painting broad brushes here, but are women in general knowledgeable, educated around some of these types of products, or do we need to do a better job, as Tim is discussing these, kind of educating people about what's out there in the marketplace, maybe even the financial professional who is helping the, uh, the, 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 the woman out there uh, prepare for their retirement? Do they need to be more educated about these types of products? Definitely. I mean, I I think that's one of the biggest issues. And, you know, I'm really gratified to see how much more companies are doing um, and employers with financial wellness. But, you know, again, not you don't have access to that, um, you know, universally. Um, So you, you have to go looking for the information and you may not know. And a lot of times what people say to us, they 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 ask two things. Why aren't there any, you know, why isn't there anyone telling us how much we need to save? You know, they want to know 5, 10, 15%. And a lot of people, you know, are afraid to say that. We say that. <laughs> we just say, yes, you need to get up to 15% if yeah. you really want to have enough. And that won't be enough either if you live to be 105. So, 
that's really important. And the other thing is that women don't know about, um, you know, the guaranteed retirement income and how to make that happen and where to find access to that. So I think there needs to be a lot more done in that area. So, Tim, it sounds like there is some educational needs. Um, and I want to start with the plan sponsors because, you know, the, these are types of products, they're not new-new, meaning they didn't come out last week and then we're just trying to figure them out. Uh, they've been around for a while. There's the uh, QD, uh, uh, different types of a new – I was going to say QDIA, but that's Target Day Funds, a totally different conversation. Um, you know, there's QLAX and other forms of, of, of products. Do we need to do a better job of educating the employer? Are employers hesitant uh, to put some of these products in their plans? Maybe uh, you know it's difficult to evaluate product A from product B from product C from product D. So let's start with that question. Right. Yeah, and you're 100% right. I mean, you mentioned QDIA, and there are QDIAs, <laughs> yeah. Qualified Default Investment Alternatives, right, that, yeah. that are in essence target date funds that have access to QLAX qualified longevity annuity contracts. So it can get very confusing very quickly. So I think you are 100% right. Um, the plan, per, plan sponsor environment, the employers that sponsor plans uh, are confused, and they are looking for regulatory guidance. And if you go back to the old Pension Protection Act of 2006, that codified automatic enrollment and auto escalation, meaning if you show up day one at an employer, they can put you into their retirement plan and automatically escalate you over time. That The default of choice was a target date fund, and as you mentioned, we could spend an entire episode on target date funds. Mm -hmm. But now employers are, are also faced with the idea of retirement income. And just like the Pension Protection Act that offered a safe harbor for this decision-making, we need similar safe harbors around adding annuities and annuitization to the mix on a plan so that employers feel that they're not going to be, um, you know, forced to uh, explain this or have to um, be subject to uh, regulatory scrutiny. They're asking for a safe harbor. They're asking for help. When that help comes, perhaps it's Secure 2.0 or other regulatory relief then we will have more product development and more usage. But I think you're right. Education is key, but also regulatory relief is key as well. Thanks, Tim. So, Cindy, um, let's assume that – and I know there's – I'm not knocking anyone. I think there's a lot of education that goes on uh, in the committees. I mean there are thousands upon thousands of quarterly meetings that go on where people are talking about these products. And I think by and large sponsors, employers want to improve their plans. I, I, I don't think someone – wants another person to work until 105 to use your uh, example Cindy but let's talk a little bit about education because I think it's a double it could be a double pronged approach um, and I want to talk about education in general of the participant not just women but you know figuring out how best to communicate these things I, do we need to do a better job you know annuity or annuity like the the word annuity used to have a bad connotation, the lunchroom, right, coming in there, the, the annuity salesperson. Do we need to do a better job of communicating aspects of retirement, especially lifetime income, uh, to not just women but people in general? Yeah, I, I definitely think. I mean, that's, that's really why we exist is to provide financial literacy to a lot of different populations. And, you know, it's not that hard for people to understand if they, if they get the information and it's put in a communication, you know, plan 
that really helps them figure out what they need to be doing. I mean, you know, just getting like these pieces in a vacuum are just, you know, not that helpful. So people need to build their knowledge. They need to know that they have choices and to learn how to make those decisions. Uh, a couple of times we, we ended up doing some um, sessions with, you know, universities. And I can remember where that when they start to change the plan and they decide to bring somebody in, they figure, you know, we'll bring in some neutral like party like Wiser. And what, what's interesting is a lot of times the people that were sitting in the chair, just men and women, like didn't have a clue with the language that was being used or how it was communicated. So why would you want to go to another session? You know, we, we had a, a grant from FINRA, and we couldn't get nurses to come to the sessions. They wouldn't go to the 401Ks, and then they didn't want to come to, you know, our, our sessions either until, you know, we, we changed the title. You know, FINRA didn't want us to change the title, but we changed the title. And so then they all come, and it turns out that they learned a lot more than, you know, they ever expected to and that they knew a lot more, you know, so they could put to use what they already understood that yeah. they didn't realize they understood as much as they did. So yeah. I, I think, you know, guaranteed income, everybody wants guaranteed income right now, right, because of the stock market. You know, it's sort of like, you know, <laughs> it's, it's a pretty easy sell. So this is a good time for employers to start educating around that issue. Uh, thank you, Cindy. And, and Tim, I mean, our industry, there is so much jargon uh, and, and we all, we have like, and we all know it because we've been in it for multi decades, but the, the lay person, person out there who's a smart person, uh, you know, we use words like beta and alpha. And maybe there are some people who are sophisticated enough to know that, but for the lay person, the average American, maybe that's too much detail. Maybe we need to back off a little bit in terms of how we communicate. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I completely agree with what you said. I completely agree with Cindy said. Uh, we have to meet participants where they want to be met. And, uh, you know, I, I think of everything that we do, and sometimes we overwhelm them. We overwhelm them with choice. And we give everyone, every, and ask them to think about every retirement decision the first day they sign up for work. And they're worried about their login and where they're going to park and if they're going to fit into a company, and they're handed a big benefits book. And I think we really do them a disservice when we do that. It's filled with jargon. And if you ask participants questions that they want to answer, those are questions that are pretty basic. When do you want to retire and how much money do I want to live on? Those are the questions that, surprisingly, if you ask them, they will respond and they will be very excited about that. Retirement is a dream for many people. Unfortunately, we go about it all wrong, giving them too much information, uh, too many gl glossy brochures, trying to over-educate and really, we should be asking much more basic questions. And then as a fiduciary, the employer, let's not forget, the employer is the fiduciary who is responsible for prudently selecting and monitoring appropriate investments for their demographic. They have the responsibility of getting the right solutions available to their participants. So it's a two-way street. Yeah. You know, I should have asked you this question at the top, both you and Cindy, but I'll start with you, Tim. Uh, when you look around the globe, I'm a big believer in lifetime learning, and we, can, you know, we're Americans, great country. Uh, we have our flaws, of course, but we're a great country. We've gotten this far. Uh, you know, we've got a B or a B plus. Who can we learn from? Who who does what you're describing well? Are there other systems that we can, if if you're a, a designer of plan design, and you can look at it? Should you look abroad? Where should you look? 
Yeah, that's that's a great point, and it is super timely. Um, as you mentioned, um, you know, I think first of all, uh, Australia superannuation uh, funds—they are—they started a little later from us, be, you know, behind us, and they are quickly getting ahead of us. A small country, they have the fifth largest retirement assets in the world. They are required to save 10% on their way in the next few years to 12% of employee savings. Um, just a few weeks ago, July 1st, they, it's called the Retirement Covenant. All superannuation funds need to focus and have a retirement income strategy. That's game-changing. That's game-changing for Australia. Secondarily, we have the U.K., which through NEST, the National Employee Savings Trust, has a mandatory system. So I think globally, going back to the top of uh, you know, uh, our questions and comments, uh, why we are a B or a B-plus is because of the lack of universality and lack of retirement income. If we want to, to, if we want to look to what right might look like, well, it's the U.K. and Australia, and I think they're doing a pretty darn good job. Uh- Cindy, same question. Thanks, Tim. Cindy, same question for you. Um, when you look out, and maybe from the wiser perspective, maybe how women are doing in these retirement systems, in addition to people in general, what, what do you what do you see as a uh, as the best systems to take uh, pieces of and kind of bolt onto the U.S. system? I know. Well, the the, the one problem is, you know. I, I really like the nest because it's mandatory. So, you know, I've just dropped the M word, right? So you're never supposed to say that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it really does make a difference because it gets people into the system. The one thing that I wanted to say about Australia, and I think they have a great system, but, you know, the women there have the same problems that we have here, doing the caregiving, so they spend time out of the workplace, so they're not, you know, they're not in the program. I mean, it's really interesting how similar our countries are, you know, with, with the women's issue, both in the U.S. and Australia. A little bit different in the U.K. because they've improved, as I say, they have an opportunity to get into that NEST program, and people love it. So. Yeah, and again, you know, these are not perfect systems, but it is about picking and bringing in pieces that work and, and seeing how they respond in the American system. Um, obviously, we're very different interculturally, but... Um, there are some lessons to be learned. I guess last last question for both of you, and I'll just start with you, Cindy. I want to talk about, you know, this is obviously some great research that you both have done, um, and, and we've had a great discussion about the retirement crisis. What are, you, what are you looking to do going forward? I mean, what can we expect from, the wiser, from WISER in terms of future research and, um, and information that you will impart to people like myself, people around the industry, just America in general about saving for retirement? Well, a a big piece of our work right now is financial caregiving. And that, you know, as I said, it's the same same issue in uh, Australia because they don't have a great system of, you know, caring for the elderly either. So, you know, what it falls on is if family members, you know, like daughters, um, husbands, you, you name it, are doing caregiving. You know, there's something like 58 million unpaid caregivers. And what that means is that's really precarious, um, not just for women, but, you know, just for families um, because they're, they're not prepared for that. You know, it's just not something that people have gotten really into. And so over the years, you know, I've just seen that devastate people, and the stories are just unbelievable. So that's where our focus is. So we started this financial caregiving hub just to let people know that what caregiving is about for many of us is the costs 
every year. So a lot of women are putting in money of their own so they don't have money to save. Um, and I'm, I try to sound uplifting about all of this because I think it does make a difference if people get that information. And I think, you know, employers are beginning to see that that is like a big piece of, of what happens to people with stress in the workplace, worried, you know, needing time off, dropping out of the workplace. It's uh, Pew, Pew finds it's nine years on average now. It used to be 12 years. Um, and so that's a big gap for people. Yeah. And, and so I think, you know, knowing that that should be part of your savings program, um, you know, as you go along. And I hear from people, they'll say, I had this great financial planner who said, is there anyone that you may have to take care of when you retire? Like the cost of it, you know, someone in your family, a child with special needs, like, you know, you need to plan for that. So it's, it's getting out there, but it's a huge issue. Yeah, mental, and, and you made a point, and Tim, I want to come to you, but just to wrap up Cindy's point, I mean, mental health, if you have financial challenges as an employee, you're not a productive worker, you're not as productive, and you will ultimately have health issues. You could have heart issues, anxiety issues, stress-related issues. Tim, what are you thinking about? So as we look out into the next 90 to 120 uh, days, or more in terms of research, what are things that you and Dimensional are thinking about undertaking in terms of messaging? Yeah, great point. And let me just play off of some of the things that Cindy mentioned. And it's harder now for employers and employees to allocate scarce employee uh, resources across the benefits menu. I call it the benefits dance. You know, uh, employers have been so good about helping employees return to work and just this, these tectonic shifts in how we work in America. So we see benefits including not only retirement, which we're all here talking about, but student loans, emergency savings, health savings accounts, financial wellness. Um, But going back to a point that Cindy mentioned, meeting with a financial planner, that is really what we see as the gold standard. I mean, a financial planning, uh, planner, advice, uh, managed accounts, really helping participants understand how they can have their savings last throughout retirement is what we are focused on. But I would say that super important is that once we agree on the goal and we fundamentally agree, whether it's the U.S. system as a whole, employers or participants, that uh, the goal is income and that we're going to spend our retirement we have to address that goal appropriately through investment solutions and then communicate it appropriately. So I think for us, we're going to be laser focused on helping the rest of the, uh, the ecosystem, if you will, um, have laser focused solutions on retirement income. I think that's not only good for all the workforce, but specifically, as Cindy mentioned, for those um, parts of the demographics that have increased longevity like women, it's even more important that we have guaranteed lifetime income for all participants. Well, certainly a great conversation. And I think we have a very positive uh, conversation, Cindy and Tim. I really want to thank you both for stopping by the program, of course, virtually. And uh, we look forward to having you back again very soon. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great rest of your weekend. Great. Great to be with you. Our pleasure. Thank you so much. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer 
healthier and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? Especially for the smaller businesses, I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. Are you stuck with a low credit score? A credit report and score that's causing you to be denied credit or pay higher interest rates than others for the same things? Then do what Terrence did and call Credit Repair for your free credit evaluation to help restore your credit. I started thinking about buying a new house and my score wasn't where I needed it to be. I called and spoke with one of the representatives and we just had a good conversation and I, I liked what he was saying. Just one call for his free credit evaluation was all it took to start back on the... Welcome back and uh, we're gonna close out the show with a look at healthcare. Joining us on the line is she is the editor, for the healthcare editor I should say, for Business Insider. Miss Lydia Ramsey Flanzer. Lydia, it's so great to talk to you. Thanks so much for stopping by the program this morning. Yeah, of course. All right, let's talk about some healthcare news. And you and the BI team obviously doing a tremendous amount of work following all facets of healthcare. Um, I guess I want to start with COVID 19. And uh, just when you thought it was safe to go out, um, there's some new variants. And um, uh, recently, a, a World Health Organization official said, COVID has become too clever for us and can break past our protection. I want to get your insight into this and, and the analysis you and the team are doing around it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it sure has. I recently got it like two or three weeks ago, so it's gnarly for sure. Um, we're looking at <laughs> what's going on with BA.5. Um, we're talking about the Omicron variant, um, but we're talking about subvariants within it, um, and these this is pretty infectious. Like we're seeing people get reinfected too. Uh, you know, folks who may have gotten it a couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, getting COVID again. <laughs> and it's just pr pretty intense to, to think that, you know, that's where we're kind of at in this pandemic is just a really infectious bug that can really get people sick. Yeah. And it, and it just, it, it just mutates. I, I mean, I guess I'm assuming that's what a variant is. It just kind of mutates and finds its way how to connect to a host. And I think recently Dr. Fauci, just to kind of build off of what the World Health Organization said, you know, just there, this thing is still 
out there. We shouldn't drop our guard. Um, are there particular areas of the U.S. that we're seeing higher rates of COVID? Like, for example, New York, the major cities. Are you hearing of where this might be a, a greater uptake? Um, my sense is that it's pretty prevalent across the U.S. Um, anecdotally, I've heard more case counts in, from friends and, and colleagues of mine who are based in cities versus kind of more spread out. Mm-hmm. And that makes sense, right? Like if there's a bunch of people around you know, to crowded restaurants, you might encounter this more often. Um, but yeah, it's pretty much everywhere. <laughs> no one's kind of immune at this point yeah. uh, from, from the risk of, of getting it. But um, it's important too to think about, you know, we're, we're ha- in a tricky point with the numbers uh, where, <clears throat> you know, case counts, might have a really high positivity rate because, and or just might look really skewed because so many people are testing positive at home on their at home test. Um, so, you know, some officials have pointed us to, you know, hospitalizations as a better um, metric. Um, so, if you're weighing your risks and, and concerns, that can often be a good metric to look at is, is where hospitalizations are in your area. Yeah, really, really good point. Um, you know, one of the original symptoms of COVID-19 was the loss of smell. And I think with past variants, I know I had COVID, uh, full disclosure, I had COVID in January. I didn't lose. I had a very, very mild case. It must have been one of the, the not the main one, the variant. But I, I did not have a loss of smell. I did not have a really sore throat, any of those things. But it looks like as part of the original strain, loss of smell is making a comeback uh, as one of the, the, the key aspects of this BA.5 uh, variant. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like that's kind of been an anecdotal thing. Um, for me, it was um, – <laughs> I had really bad uh, fever and, and sore throat, like you mentioned. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it can be pretty gnarly. Um, I, I'm, my assumption is I had the BA.5 just based on when I got it in June. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely <laughs> – definitely not one – I'd wish on anyone. <laughs> yeah, certainly. Um, okay, let's let's shift gears a little bit, and, and I think we just got some jobs jobs numbers uh, within the last week, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I don't follow the market every day because that would just be depressing at this point. But I want to ask you about um, venture capital, and there has been shortages that I've seen, uh, especially in government hiring, around healthcare, like nursing and staffing. Uh, but there are startups that I know you and the team at BI are following that are trying to solve this staffing problem, trying to find the right people, you know, to to cure us of our maladies. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting to follow along. You know, across the market, startups are having a harder time raising money. That's probably no surprise, just based on where the market is. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of the overall market dynamics. Um, but within healthcare, we kind of were taking a look at which companies were actually getting funded um, in this, like, past half of the year. Um, and it was surprising. There was a bunch of startups that were getting a lot of, like, funding that would get them to, like, a really high valuation, like, in the billions. Um, and they were all centered around staffing. Um, this idea that, like, can we better staff our hospitals with, with regards to the shortages and things like that. And yes, there was, there were a bunch of companies most recently, I think Nomad Health raised a pretty big round. Um, and it's interesting to watch kind of that play out. It's such a clear need. Um, so it makes sense that that's the area uh, investors are backing versus, you know, more pie in the sky ideas that might be 
harder to make the case for investing yeah. in right now. Yeah, I, I, would, I mean, these are practical things. I mean, people are getting sick. They need staff. They need clinicians. They need nurses and IT people, right? I mean, it's not just frontline people. It's people in the back end. Um, you know, in terms of – one question I did have is I, I remember when you and I spoke, I think – Within the last year, and there were some big companies like the Amazons of the world, the JP Morgans that had come together to, to do some startups or to try to solve healthcare. And if I recall, they kind of broke apart and do, did their own thing. But where is this VC money coming from? Are these just VC dedicated shops or are they coming from bigger, like insurance companies, healthcare insurers, or, um, you know, big, big companies that are trying, like a Goldman Sachs that are trying to invest in some of these startups? Yeah, um, I think we're seeing a bit more of, and more of, of kind of the, the banks of the world kind of stepping in, um, especially as more um, startups look to take on venture debt, um, just because that's the way those deals tend to be structured. But for the most part, we're talk- when we talk about venture capital, we're talking about uh, VC mm-hmm. firms that are, you know, either have a dedicated healthcare practice or are dedicated in full um, into healthcare. Um, so that's, you know, some of the tech players like Andreessen Horowitz. Um, or it's, you know, uh, folks like OKHCFT, uh, which does a lot of fintech and healthcare investing. Um, so that's kind of more who we're talking about rather than some of the bigger uh, tech players or the, the banks. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it is just interesting to follow the money. And as you said, venture money is kind of pulled back from those pie-in-the-sky ideas, uh, maybe even in healthcare. But I know certainly in, like, financial technology, they basically said, okay, well, hey, you're on your own in terms of, getting funding, you need to have a proven model, a proven product brought to the market. Um, but that's less practical, right? I mean, I think the reality is with the, the COVID variants, um, the pandemic, and just healthcare overall, we need more people involved, not less. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, well, Lydia, we're going to leave it there. really appreciate you uh, stopping by to give us a quick take on what uh, you and the team are following and uh, we wish you the best uh, rest of the weekend and we'll talk to you again very soon thanks so much thanks Lid. bye-bye bye and that wraps up this episode of brn sunday have a topic of interest someone you think we should talk to drop us a line and don't forget for all the latest curated news in lifestyle wellness finance tech so much more all in one place Check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives and check out our latest content? Well, visit our website. That's www.broadcastretirementnetwork.com. And, of course, our streaming partners like Amazon, Roku, Samsung. You've got over 100 to choose from. We're back again tomorrow for another edition of BRNAM. We'll have a very special guest. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes.